Thank you so very much, praise team. It's always very wonderful to sing the praises of God here at Bethel. And it seems like every week I say I have a new favorite praise team until the next Sunday. And so thank you for that great ministry this morning. When I was in seminary, one of our most beloved professors was Howard Hendricks. He was affectionately known as Prof the only faculty member to be called that. And he made many memorable statements that have been passed on by his students down through the years. But when I was in seminary, he had his 60th birthday. And I remember during those years, he said something that shocked me and surprised me. And at first, I really didn't know how to even handle it. He said, it is harder for me to keep a pure mind now than when I was a younger man. Now, I had never heard anything like that before. I was a young man in my 20s at the time, and I thought temptation would get easier the older I got, not harder. And I thought, by the time I'm 60, I'm going to be home free. Temptation will be a thing of the past. How could Prof say something like that? And then he gave the reason. And I've never forgotten what he said. He said, when I was a young man, you had to go looking for temptation. He said, today, temptation comes looking for you. And he was right on. That made perfect sense. Temptation confronts us everywhere today, doesn't it? It's on our smartphone, our computers, our television screens in our homes 24-7. It can come over the radio, in magazines, on billboards. And it's in people all around us. And I think it would be true to say that never in history is temptation in so many places, at so many times, and in so many ways. It's very interesting in the Lord's Prayer, the very last petition that Jesus gave to us in Matthew 6.13 is this one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there are at least a couple of things that we learn from this. Number one, temptation is so strong that it should be a regular concern of our prayer life. Is it a regular concern of our prayer life? And then secondly, evil is so strong that ultimately only God can deliver us. We desperately need Him. This morning, we are coming back to our series in the life of Joseph, Living a Fruitful Life. And as we do, we have come now to Genesis 39. And I want to bring a message from this chapter this morning entitled, A Fruitful Life Prepares for Temptation. See, how can we prepare ourselves for the temptation that is all around us 
Well, Joseph teaches us. And what we learned this morning is the time to prepare for temptation is before it comes, not after it comes. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian man, but he is the one who made this statement. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. That's true in a lot of areas of life, isn't it? But it is especially true in temptation. If we fail to prepare for temptation, we are preparing to fail. And so how do we prepare? Well, that's what Genesis 39 is all about. It is in the Bible to help you and I to be able to stand in the evil day. Would you take your Bibles and let's turn to Genesis 39 and the chair Bible in front of you. It is about page 39. And I would encourage you to follow along this morning as God's Word speaks to us. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if that is a part of the prayer that you said is to be the pattern for our lives, then this is a serious, serious matter. Teach us now from one who, like Jesus, shows us the way. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in the charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he made no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I want you to notice to begin with, as we prepare for temptation, we need to understand the goal of temptation. And it is very clear what the goal is here. It is to damage God's blessing on our lives. Make no mistake about this. Temptation is designed to spoil and to ruin all that God wants to do in your life. Now, as we look at these opening verses, here is Joseph. He's been sold as a slave into uh, uh, Egypt, and he is purchased by Potiphar, who is sort of the head of the secret service, who guards Pharaoh. And what we discover is that as Joseph was there, working day by day, God began to bless him in an amazing way, and he was blessed with three blessings. Let's look at them for just a moment. Number one, success. 
Verse 2 tells us that he was a successful man. And verse 3 says that everything he did succeeded. Three times in this chapter we are told he was successful. It's an interesting word. It carries the idea of advancement and prosperity. What we could say is that whatever Joseph did, he was good at it. It turned out well. Uh, A young person today might say about him, that man's got talent. That man's got talent. Now obviously then, when you are successful in this way, it leads to the second thing, he got a promotion. In verses 3 through 5, we are told that things went so well and he was so talented and successful that Potiphar makes him overseer of his house and puts him in charge of all that he had. Now, that's not surprising, is it? If you are really good at something, you move up the ladder. Uh, It's interesting, this phrase, overseer of his house, was a title that was held only by chief servants in Egyptian households. So here is someone who is brought in a Hebrew as a slave, and now he becomes what is normally reserved for Egyptians of the highest rank. Hey, this is a rags-to-riches event, isn't it? This is the Indian who becomes the chief. And then finally, in verse 6, we notice that all of this led to an incredible trust. Joseph was so loyal, so hardworking, so skillful that Potiphar decided, I'm going to skip his annual review. And most people get an annual review, don't they? Uh, You know, most of the time, at least yearly, uh, we have somebody who evaluates us. But Joseph's annual review always read A+, A+, A+. And so Potiphar decides, what's the point? He's better at this than I am. I'm going to skip the annual review. Could I stop here for just a moment? Have you experienced blessings like this? Look at this. Have you had these blessings in your life along the way? Probably all of us have. Maybe you've had the blessings of great opportunities set before you. And the opportunities for success have been incredible that have been given to you. Maybe you've had a great education at a very fine, fine school. Maybe it's natural talent. You're just very, very good at something, and people have recognized how good you are. Maybe you grew up in a great family. You were loved and cared for, and your parents said an exceptional model. And you can look at this list this morning, and you can say, I've had that my share of that. How many of us would be able to say that? Now, let me ask you today, who do you give credit to? Who do you give the credit to if, This has been your life up until now. 
Well, I know who you'd give the credit to. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And notice what verse 2 says about Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. That's a very significant phrase. It occurs four times in this chapter. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, verse 22. Uh, The little term with has the idea of nearness or closeness. It means God's special presence with someone for the purpose of helping them. Joseph's success was because God was blessing his fruitful life. Joseph was leading a fruitful life and the hand of God was upon him. And you know today that if you've experienced this kind of life as a believer in Jesus Christ, without any doubt, you would say this morning, it is God's hand that has been on me. But then I want you to notice what is said. Look at verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. By the way, this has never been a problem that I've had in my life. When I was a pimply-faced teenager, all skin and bone, verses like this quite honestly made me jealous. Why is this here? This is tipping us off. This is telling us that temptation is coming. Now, Satan is not mentioned at all in Genesis 39. But from Genesis 3, we know Satan is behind all temptation. And just as he ruined everything in the Garden of Eden with sin, so he wants to ruin us. And that is the very subtle thing about temptation. It never announces its objective. It always looks fun, pleasurable, innocent. It seems like we can toy with temptation and somehow we'll just escape, we won't get hurt. But make no mistake about it, Satan's goal is to damage the blessing that God has brought upon our lives. And we should not be surprised, not be surprised at all, that Joseph now faced this test. In fact, that leads us to the second thing we have to do to prepare for temptation. We have to understand the test of temptation. In a wicked world, it will come. In a wicked, fallen world, make no mistake about it, temptation will come. Let me ask you this morning just to join me in reading this verse from James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let's read it together. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Did you notice the verse does not say, let no one say, if 
he is tempted. But what? When he is tempted. Do you know that sometimes temptation is the strongest when things are going the best? Have you ever thought about that? Don Anderson, in a wonderful book about the life of Joseph, says this, Temptation is less of a problem when we're suffering than when we are successful. It's at times of blessing, not adversity, that we faced our severest urges to sin. So when things are going well in our life, when there's success, when there's promotion, when other people are trusting us, it's at those times that we have to watch just as hard when we are suffering and experiencing adversity. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said this, it is tougher to remain victorious than to become victorious. Are you victorious today? Would you say, Pastor, I'm having success. I'm experiencing promotion. Uh, people trust me. It is harder to remain victorious than it is to achieve victory. And that's when we better watch out. Temptation will come. Look with me if you would, starting in verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back from me anything except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. I want you to notice how Potiphar's wife approached Joseph. Because there's a lot we can learn here about how temptation comes. Did you notice, first of all, in verse 7, she used the direct approach. She just came up to him and just came out with it. Let's go to bed together. It was obvious that she was used to getting what she wanted. And in her mind, she thought, it's just sex, no big deal. Uh, certainly, this young man will feel exactly the same. Do you know, some people are so used to sin, they have no shame in inviting you along with them. I'll never forget the first time I was asked to lie on the job. My co-worker just came right out. Just came right out. I was doing something today that the boss doesn't want me to do. He said, I need you to lie to, for me. And it was so obvious he was used to this kind of life 
that he just came right out and it shocked me because I had never had somebody so directly ask me to lie on their behalf. When that didn't work, she used the seductive approach, didn't she? She kept talking to him, being with him day after day after day. Listen, Satan doesn't give up. If he cannot storm us, he will wear us down. And many, many times we sin because we have become comfortable with the source of temptation and we become wore down. Do you realize all of the excuses that Joseph could have made at this point? Many excuses that he could have made. He was Potiphar's servant for several years. He is in his uh, 20s now, maybe even in his mid-20s, and his sexual drive is at its peak. It's at its peak. His body is crying out for sexual fulfillment, and he could have said, when in Egypt, do as the Egyptians do. He also was away from his family in a far country. He could have reasoned nobody will ever know. No one will ever know. And then he could have said, it might advance my career. I'm already in good with Potiphar. This will help me get in good with Potiphar's wife. A lot of excuses that he could have made. Many years ago, I had to talk to a young father who was engaged in a pattern of adultery. He had been uh, in my youth group many years earlier when I was a youth pastor, and so I knew him well, and I confronted him about what he was doing. And this is what he said to me. He said, things are a lot different today than when you were a teenager. There's a lot more temptation out there. And Joseph could have said the same thing. He could have said, I I never planned to be in this situation. I'm in a far country. This is the way things are in this country. There's a lot more temptation than I ever expected. He made no excuses. In fact, what we learn from Joseph is how we prepare ahead of time for temptation. And what he did will help you, will help me. Let's notice. This morning, how we are to prepare. Number one, know what you will not do ahead of time. Before you are ever confronted with the sin and the wrong, know what you will not The Bible says very simply in verse 8, but he refused. 
Joseph's refusal was just as bold as her request. He let her know exactly where he stood. There's a principle here for all of us that I hope we will not forget. Temptation is always easier to refuse at the beginning. Please hear that today. Temptation is always easier to refuse at the beginning. The more temptation lingers and we allow it to work its way, the stronger it becomes. And the first time we give in, the easier it is to give in the next time. Satan always wants to convince us, once will not hurt. Once will not hurt. But it's very clear here. We are always the strongest at the beginning. And that's the time to stay, say no. When I went to high school, and I went to a public school, in fact, I was talking to somebody this morning about the public school that I went to. In four years of high school, I was never invited to a drinking party or a party that there were drugs at. And as I thought about this this past week, it, it dawned on me for the first time that in four years I had never been invited to one of those parties. And I believe the reason why is this. When I got into high school as a ninth grader, I had already decided what I was going to do about drinking parties and drugs. I already knew. And apparently my classmates already knew as well because they never invited me. Now, I'm so grateful they never did, because the real test is obviously when you are invited, what do you do? And you often hope that you would do the right thing. And I'm grateful that I was never invited. But I think part of the reason why was it was clear where I stood. Let me ask you a question. Why do we attend worship? Why do we go to adult Bible fellowship? Why do we participate in Bible studies? Why do we read the Word of God? Why do we pray? Why do we attend youth group? It is because we are developing our belief system and our convictions. That's what's going on. We are developing what we believe and the convictions that we will live by. We are doing exactly what Daniel himself did when he was in a situation where he was tested. Look at what Daniel 1.8 says about Daniel. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was still living under the kosher food laws. He knew that ceremonially, if I ate foods that were not acceptable, I would defile myself before God. And so he and his three friends in faraway Babylon decided, we know what we believe, we know our convictions, and come what may, we are not going to compromise. And there is Daniel, there is his three friends, at the very beginning, refusing. Brothers and sisters, there's power in that. There's power in that. 
The stronger our beliefs, the stronger our convictions, the stronger our ability to say no when temptation comes. Secondly, know why you will not do it. Know why you will not do it. Joseph knew that all sin is betrayal. Look what he said. Verse 8, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. First, did you notice? Sin is betraying other people. A lie betrays someone's trust. Sexual sin compromises someone's purity. Do you know one reason not to look at pornography? It's because those images that we may be looking at are the images of someone's daughter, possibly someone's wife, or maybe someone's mother. And I know without a shadow of a doubt this morning, not a one of us would want our wife, our daughter, or our mother to be gawked at by millions of men. We would not want those loved ones in our lives to be betrayed by that. And when we understand that sin is always a betrayal of other people, it strengthens us to say no. Notice, second, we are betraying God. At the end of verse 8, he said, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All sin betrays God. Joseph knew this about God. He knew that God was good. He was kind. He was generous, faithful, and his source of success. And if he did this, he knew he would betray all that God is and all that God has done for him. I like what Pastor Erwin Lutzer says about this. He said, Joseph had a right view of sin and a right view of God. And you cannot have one without the other. Joseph had a right view of sin and a right view of God. And you cannot have one without the other. Let me make this very clear to you and to me this morning. If we want to overcome temptation in our lives, we need to grow in our knowledge of God and our love of God. That is always bedrock. If we want to overcome temptation and have the strength to say no, we must grow in our knowledge of God and our love of God. It is a right view of God that will give us a right view of sin and that will strengthen us in this battle. Notice the third thing. 
know that you may pay a price for saying no. Be prepared to know that you will pay a price for saying no. Look at verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. How many of you are just wanting to reach into this story right now? And Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought in amongst us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Do you know there's an old saying? No good deed will go unpunished. And that's exactly what happens right here. Refuse the world and its ways and you may find the world hating you. Many years ago, I heard Haddon Robinson preach. He went to be with the Lord this past year. And he told about a friend of his who was asked by his boss to hire a secretary who would also perform sexual favors for the boss. This friend of Haddon Robinson's was a Christian man, and so he refused. The boss fired him. I want you to think about that. Had he found a woman who said, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to go along with that. They used to say about Marilyn Monroe, the reason that she rose so high in the ranks in Hollywood is she was willing to do what other actresses would not do. And if this Christian man had found a woman who would have gone along with the boss's request, he would have kept his job. But when he said no, my Christian faith, my Christian standards will not allow me to do that, he was fired. And by the way, Haddon Robinson said, it wasn't easy finding another job. Never expect those with low standards will cheer you on for your high standards. Never expect if your standards are up here, if your standards are, are based on this book, 
that the people who will say to you, those standards are too high for me. Why don't you just come down here a little bit? If you maintain your high standards, don't expect the people that want lower standards to cheer you on. In fact, the opposite will happen. They may very well take you down. Now, now we say here, is this worth it? Is this worth it? I mean, he, he's on his way. He, he's at the top of, of, of a successful career. And now he's in prison. Was it worth it? That's the third thing we have to see. We have to understand this. The outcome of temptation. To obey God is best, no matter what the cost. It's hard for us to believe this, isn't it? It's hard for us to believe that the path of obedience is best even if I have to suffer, even if I'm wronged. Somehow it's still best, no matter the cost. But Joseph's life teaches us, unless you believe that, unless you believe that, it'll be very hard in the evil day. You mean to tell me my boyfriend might leave me if I say no? Is that cost really worth it? You mean to tell me that my boss might fire me if I'm honest? You mean when my friends are passing around that joint and I say, guys, this is illegal, this is wrong, we shouldn't be doing this, and I may lose them, that's worth it? And Joseph's life says, you better believe it is. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You know what we have to do this morning? We have to compare verses 1 to 6 to the end of the chapter. And in verses 1 to 6, we see that Joseph was successful. He got a promotion. He was trusted. And now what do we see at the end of the chapter? Very same things. In fact, the warden over the prison uses almost the identical words 
that are used of what we are told about Potiphar. You say to me, Pastor, what is this teaching? I'll tell you what it's teaching. God is sovereign. He can overrule. What people take from us, God can give back to us. And if we please God, we can also trust God. God will fulfill His plans no matter what. And if we are living a fruitful life in the center of His will, no matter what we may lose, sovereign God can restore. It is always best to obey, no matter the cost. Always best to obey, no matter the cost. One final question needs to be asked. What if Joseph had sinned? What if we sinned? The answer to that question is 1 John 1 9. Would you read it with me? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is gracious, He is merciful. He's abounding in love and forgiveness. There is not a single sin that cannot be cleansed from our record and forgiven and fellowship restored. And it is this promise that is the basis for our faith that no failure is ultimately fatal because God is a gracious, merciful, forgiving God. But there's one little caveat we need to say here. God will restore you to His fellowship and He will bless you. He will put His blessing upon your life again. But there may be consequences that you will have to live with. And those consequences sometimes cannot be erased. And had Joseph sinned, certainly God would have forgiven him. God would have uh, uh, graciously uh, restored him to his fellowship. God would have had a plan for Joseph. Would it have been the same plan? We can't be sure. Sometimes there are consequences. Back in the 1990s when I was pastoring in Muskegon, there was a well-known pastor who pastored a 9,000-member church in Detroit, Michigan one of the largest churches in the state of Michigan. He became involved in some immoral conversations with a woman in his previous church, and when it ultimately came out, he had to step down from that ministry in Detroit. God graciously forgave him, restored him, And one day, he returned to pastoring a church in Muskegon. 
a church of 50 people. That's a lot less influence than a church of 9,000. But would you agree with me? Those 50 souls were just as precious to God as those 9,000 souls. And there may be consequences that cannot be erased. But God will place you where He wants you to have the influence that He wants you to have if you will allow Him to restore you, forgive you, and be the God of your future. So there is hope for all of us as we come to this chapter. Let's pray together. Lord, you know the need of our hearts this morning. You know us thoroughly and intimately. You are acquainted with all our ways. You know those of us who are trapped and caught in sin right now. And you want us to confess that, to make it known. To face it and get the help that we need. For others of us, we're coasting along in the Christian life. We're not growing in our knowledge of God and our love for Him. Everything is going our way. We are headed for downfall. Because in this wicked world, temptation will come. And you know that we need to watch just as carefully now as we would if things were not going well. And then others of us, Father, need to know the grace and love and forgiveness of the Lord. And we need to bask in what Christ has provided for us. And we need to submit to Your sovereign purposes and allow You now to direct us in new paths of ministry. Lord, whatever the need, we bow before You that we might live a fruitful life for Jesus' sake.